You're listening to the Thread Wellbeing Podcast, connecting people from around the globe to share about living from their soul's purpose. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and pay our deepest respects to Elders past, present and emerging from all First Nations around the world, from whom we learn so much. Today's inspiring conversation is with Robert Gore and Kumu Brenta, a Valentine's Day special. Good evening, listeners. Tonight, on this very special Valentine's Day, Catherine and I are excited to bring you two wonderful guests. For most of you, you have heard from our beloved Kumu Brenda, and tonight we are joined with her beloved, Robert Gore, as they speak to us about love, Valentine's Day, and share their story, their story of love, and commitment and share with us some words of wisdom that we can all enjoy on this special day. Welcome. Thank Thank you you very much. Thank you, Teresa. We're glad to be here. It's a pleasure and a joy and and it's a privilege to share our story tonight with you and with your audience. Mm -hmm. I agree. You know, I, I, when I was a younger man, I met a friend who gave me the secret to a happy marriage. And I said, what is it? And he said, well, we've been married for 45 years. And the other day she asked me, she said, you never tell me you love me anymore. And he says, I told you 45 years ago, the day we got married that I love you. If I ever change my mind, I'll let you know. (laughs) No, that's not the secret to a happy marriage. No, it's not. (laughs) I loved it. I think a sense of humor must be a key component. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Oh, it's essential. Essential. Yeah. But if you like, I'll start with my perspective of where our relationship originated and what it's been like to walk this path. Um, I was born in Florida in 1942. My father was in the Navy as part of the war effort. And when he got out, we moved to a little country town with a well outside the house, an outdoor toilet no lighting, no electricity, and cooking over wood-burning stoves. Um, From there, my dad decided to go back to the university and get an education. He became a minister in a Protestant church. But that involved us moving at an age when I was like four. We moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And then we continued to move various places as he pursued his education and career. And it culminated in 1950, mid-50s, that we moved to Hawaii. He accepted a church in Hawaii as pastor. And um, I was pulled up as a young man who just finished the fifth grade going to Hawaii, not knowing anything about where I was going or what it was like. But I had already been in five schools, so I was a little bit shy because it was hard to make friends and then have the relationships torn up every time you turned around. So I was a little standoffish as far as making friendships. I was frightened by intimacy and by friendships. But along at the time that I went to the intermediate school, Kaimaki Intermediate School in Hawaii, there was a girl there named Brenda who fascinated me. We didn't really become good friends until midway through high school. And I began to sometimes walk with her when we'd walk to school or be with her in different functions. And I developed a a very, very deep 
love and respect for her. She, to me, had a spiritual component that I had not seen in many other people. And I shared a similar kind of a desire to know more than just facts. I wanted to know what's really behind behind the facts. What's, what's, where are we, why are we here? What's it all about? So we developed a friendship that never really blossomed to anything more than just a very good friendship, very close. We liked each other very much. We shared spiritual values. But we weren't allowed to date because my dad was a Protestant minister from the mainland. She was a local girl, belonged to a Catholic church. And it, the families just didn't see this as a good match. So we shared some times of knowing that we cared about each other, but it never became, in the typical sense, a real uh, romance. romance. Yeah. Then I decided to go to California to school. I wanted to be a medical doctor and Brenda had graduated from high school and was going to college in Hawaii. So we just kind of assumed that we would be separate and stay in touch, but nothing was really there in terms of a relationship. When I got to college in Pasadena, California, I wrote uh, multiple times to Brenda and she never responded, which bothered me greatly. Because I, as I got away from her, I realized this was really the person I wanted to be with. This was the person that somehow satisfied all of my desires for a partner for life. Uh, but it seemed like it wasn't going to be. And then in the second year of college, a not so good friend showed me a clipping from the Honolulu Star Bulletin announcing that there would be a wedding. And uh, so I figured that's the end of that. So I went on with my schooling, eventually married, became a physician, moved to Washington State, and looked over the years. I would try to find Brenda in one form or another. I would look at the phone book. I would look. Those days, we didn't have search engines and <laughs> all these things we have. What happened was um, I married someone who I was comfortable with, but there was no passion. Uh, it was more of a convenience. It felt comfortable. I spent a lot of time in her house with her parents cooking dinner for me when I was away at school. And uh, we got just kind of one of those things where you decide, let's get married. <laughs> it didn't make a lot of sense to either of us other than it felt like it was just okay. Um, so we both ended up with relationships, married and, and some children and didn't see each other, hear from each other. I tried to call one time and I heard the answering machine and she sounded really happy and I thought, oh no, she's married and happy. I don't wanna mess things up so I wouldn't leave a message. <laughs> I thought, no, that would be too bad to leave a message. She sounds so happy. In retrospect, it would have been an ideal time to have left any kind of message, <laughs> but I did not. Um, and I never got your letters. And she never got the letters because her mother thought it was in the best interest of both of us to destroy them so that um, this didn't continue because it wasn't what she thought was appropriate for Brenda. Um, I never went back to my high school reunions because it would be a trip all the way from the mainland to Hawaii, which was 5,000 miles round trip. And uh, it wasn't something I particularly felt like I wanted to do. But at our 50th reunion, we got, somebody got a hold of my email address and, um, 
contacted me about coming to the reunion. Well, back to the before that had happened, one day I was on classmates.com, which was kind of the very original first Facebook, you could submit an email and then there was a monitor who would get a hold of the person that you were trying to contact and see if they wanted to hear from you. And if not, they would discard the email. So that way you everything was secret until you just said, yes, I'd like to meet that person or talk to them again. So I sent an email. The next morning I looked for Brenda on on classmates.com and she was gone. And I thought I really blew it. You know, I really blew it because um, she did not want to hear from me. It turned out that her her renewal came up that day <laughs> and she didn't renew because she didn't want to spend the money on it. <laughs> so it wasn't, she rejected my outreach. She never knew about it, um, which we found out later in retrospect because I thought, wow, that was cold. She could have at least said, how are you doing? <laughs> What's going on? So anyway, I decided I was going to the reunion, but in the meanwhile, I saw her name pop up as somebody who might be coming to the reunion. So then I knew I had to go. Um, from there, we reunited. And uh, from that point on, our relationship really blossomed and we eventually married. I moved to Hawaii, retired. And we've served, had the last uh, nine years now, almost 10, of being together. Through some times that were very difficult, but some times that we were very happy that we were the ones that were together because it was important that we be with each other at that time. Mm -hmm. And more and more we recognized that this was a relationship that was intended to be by whatever power there is, whether it's the universe, whether it's attraction, whatever, whatever it is that causes these things to happen, it happened for a reason and a purpose. And the joy that we've had the last 10 years made all the earlier years worth it. Uh, and I think looking back that I probably would not have been good marriage material when we were in high school. I had a lot of baggage and uh, I, I'm not sure it would have worked out. Um, as I grew, and I don't wanna monopolize things too much tonight, but um, when I was 40 years old, I was in the hospital on a ventilator and they told the family to come say goodbye because I was very near death. And uh, I survived and miraculously actually. and. That was when I was 40 years old. So that kind of changed the course of my life. I realized that having the Mercedes in the garage and having uh, being a chairman of the board of physicians and well-respected in the committee didn't mean a whole lot. Relationships were what really mattered. And life itself was what it was all about. Life was precious. Not what we are, not what we have, not what we do, but the very fact that I take a breath in and I let it out. The life, the force that keeps us all going was what really mattered. So I began to look at what causes disease. And what I found in my own thinking and, and asking patients what happened before they got sick or why does somebody get the same bacteria? One dies and the other one has a little mild fever. What's the difference? And I began to discover that a lot of it had to do with what was going on inside, deep down inside uh, as to why people got sick. And a lot of it had to do with unforgiveness, bitterness, hatred, stress, things that we know about. But they were so important that I was asked people, what happened six months before you notice this disease? Almost routinely, we would come up with, a, with something that was very deep and very painful. And in 
working through forgiveness, we were able to resolve some of these issues. Um, when I met up with Kuma Brenda again, uh, I found she was on the same path. Mm -hmm. That she was very interested in healing and why people are sick. To touch the, the purpose of touch, the purpose of prayer, the purpose of touching people. All of this was was her heart, and so we were really on exactly the same path. And to kind of explain a little bit more about what all really happened, uh, I carried some baggage from childhood that was pretty heavy. And I ended up eventually, after working with a mentor for a long time, going on a three-week retreat in which I had no contact with the outside world, and I only journaled. I journaled over 700, 800 pages during that time. I had my own food. I couldn't turn on the TV. I didn't have a radio. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have anything except myself. And in that, I began to develop a, a understanding that I could love myself. Prior to that, I thought, if you really knew me, if you really know me, you won't love me. And so what did I do in relationships? People would love me and I would do something that hurt them so much so that they would then turn against me and then I, I validated from my subconscious that I'm not lovable by making them turn on me. And then I could then say, see, they don't find me lovable either, so I'm not lovable. When I went through the intensive and all this journaling and so much came out of the, the very depths of my soul, that I knew that I would never be the same again. And when Kumbh and I reunited, it was not too long after I had finished this intensive. And one of the things that I realized was that I never thought that she could really love me because I was not that person that she could love. And as we got back together, I realized she loves me and for good reason, because I am lovable. Mm -hmm. I am a good person. I do have good things to say. I do have good things to do. And I'm not a bad person at all. No. I'm not who I thought I was. And she really helped me with that a great deal. She would tell me, get the head up off, the, <laughs> off your neck and look at the sun, you know, and, and uh, really helped me to see that I was loved and lovable and that I should love myself. And I think probably to sum it all up, you know, we hear that um, love means giving the other person uh, preference or something like that. In other words, you let them do what they want to do if you really love them. That's not what it is. It's doing the highest good for both. Mm -hmm. And what may be the highest good for Brenda may not be the highest good for me. And if it's not, then I need to examine what, what is it that we're doing wrong here? Maybe we're asking the wrong question because the right answer to the wrong question is always the wrong answer. Um, so that's been a, a real journey to say, what is it that is, is causing me to have these concerns? And is it the other person or is it me? Almost always it comes back to me. So the only person I'm changing ever is the person I see in the mirror when I shave. And I don't need to change anybody else. And I finally got rid of the burden of saying, I am responsible for other people's happiness. I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not even responsible for Kumu Brenda's happiness. I do the things that I think make her happy. I do things that I think are in her highest good, but I don't take on the burden of saying, if she's unhappy, how do I fix it? Because that's not my job. No. My job is to be authentic, to be loving and to be honest 
and and to do what's best for the both of us. And so if I were to sum the whole thing up, I would say the secret to our relationship has been a deep understanding of res and respect for one another's place in this world. And it's not been a neediness at all. I never have heard her say, nor I think if I said to her, I need you, because it's not coming out of need. It's coming out of love. It's coming out of mutual respect. It's coming out of a desire to, to increase the goodness of each other. And it's not about needing. What a story. <laughs> oh, thank That's you. amazing. And you've just touched on so many elements within that story as well, which is the self-love and the, the ability to be in that place in order to really truly share within somebody else and, and accept and have them in, in their life as well. And I think just on that last point that you were sort of talking to actually everything that you've got in there, it's coming from such a deep place. And I think that in this day and age, we've got online dating apps, which is absolutely fine, but how sure. often people swipe through looking at a picture of somebody and they don't actually know anything behind who that person is. So there is, I feel, a calling to reconnect to that to that depth. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, to, to go into yourself and forgive and continue and, and to share. And then that's where you can truly, um, yeah, invite somebody else in to join you on that journey. So what an incredible story. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned the business of forgiving yourself and that's, that's really key. Big. It's really big. Uh, I could easily forgive somebody else. In fact, I probably forgave too easily because I would sometimes yeah. allow the same people to hurt me again. Me too. Mm -hmm. But I had a horrible time forgiving myself for some things. And even now I still have to, once in a while, I have to do the burning bowl with it or have to do something mm -hmm. to deal with it again. Uh, but I think if we take the word need and but out of our language, we'll be a lot better off. For sure. In, in high school, when I noticed Robert, he's a gorgeous little hunk, that's for sure. His eyes, his eyelashes were so long. He was cool, shy, very shy. But then so was I. Even though I was very active, teachers would, counselors and teachers would kind of force me to go out there, like be the pep squad and you know, run for this and that. But I noticed him, I was very attracted to him. And um, he was like me, we had strict parents. So when my father found out I wanted to date him, if I could go to, now, but he couldn't go to movies, his religion. And so, and then he couldn't dance not allowed to dance. So I wanted to go to the senior prom. I wanted to go with him. And um, my father said, no, I couldn't. So I didn't go to the senior prom. I mean, because of the connection I felt, I was willing to give up just going to go. You know, I really felt I wanted to be with someone. The one thing that I remember clearly about him, besides him being shy, which I liked because I myself was shy, um, 
was his kindness. And you know, that's real big in my life. So this little monkey wanted to be near me. So I was student government. He was, he got on the student government. I got on the pep squad. He got on the pep squad, but not, you know, real active, interactive, but just near me. So cute, you know, so cute. And um, then my dad said I wasn't even allowed to talk to him. One of the reasons being, you know, in wartime when I was born, um, a lot of servicemen came from the U.S. and Hawaii wasn't a state. And they came to Hawaii. They got stationed in Hawaii to help fight the war because Pearl Harbor was bombed. It tore up our local lives. And, you know, military men are young. They, they were quite young and they found the local girls attractive. And so they sort of moved in and took over and the local boys were like, hey, <laughs> you know, they're our girls. And so they weren't really trusted. For one thing, they were away from home and they were a little wild. So my dad had a fear of men from U.S. mainland and really rightfully so, you know, rightfully so. So anyway, my parents picked my first husband, uh, someone of the Catholic religion and, you know, about as naive as I was and living at home with mom and dad and, you know, same kind of boring life. <laughs> and um, I was not happy. I was not happy at all. And later in life, I, I kept thinking of him, actually, never knowing that he had written to me. And so when we got computers, one period of my life, I was so unhappy and I could just remember him being so kind. I thought of him constantly. I um, subscribed to Net Detective. I mean, I was seriously looking for this boy. Net Detective. It was like $140. I said, worth it. If I had remembered his middle name, I would have been way ahead of the game, but I didn't. Robert Gore. Now, he was from born in Florida, lived in Tennessee and Hawaii. And then possibly I thought he might have gone to college in California. So I looked Robert Gore, 263 Robert Gores in the United States. I looked in Florida, I looked in Tennessee, I looked in California. He's hiding up in the state of Washington, not fair. So I didn't find him. Oh, but I would call, you know, I would call. Did you ever live in Hawaii? No. Okay, thank you, Pope, you know. Yeah, it was fun. But I really did think about him. Um, much like um, Letters to Juliet, that wonderful movie, you know, where he was worth the search. So when the 50th high school reunion, they tried to find all of those that they had not heard from or seen at any reunion. I didn't go because I was ashamed that I had been divorced because everybody thought I would have a Cinderella life. And I didn't particularly want to go and admit that because part of my religion was that you don't get divorced. You stay 
together forever till death do you part. Um, so 50th, they searched for me. A classmate found me. You know, I'm looking, do you know a Brenda Ignacio? I said, this is she. Boom. They posted that I had been found. He saw my maiden name, Ignacio. He got hope. That's when he asked to contact me. So they caught, you know, they kept things kosher. So they said, are you willing to hear from Robert Gore? Oh, no. First, I thought I'd be coy. I wanted to ask about him in the worst way, but I didn't want to be obvious. So I, I thought of who was another really nice student government friend of mine, Kenneth Kodama. So I said, by the way, you know, I'm so glad Caroline found me and it, I will come. It's exciting. By the way, anybody know whatever happened to Kenneth Kodama or Robert Gore? <laughs> he saw that and he saw that I was using my maiden name. So he went, ding, I'm going <laughs> to ask to contact her. So they said he'd like to contact you. I said, yes. So it gave my number and email. So he emailed, he said, I'll call you on this certain day. And he was at the hospital, you know, doing his doctor thing. And he said, I'll call you at this certain time. I'm sitting on the couch, so excited. And I have my phone waiting. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, nothing happened. What? I didn't have it, the sound. You turned off. it off the night before. I had turned it off. <laughs> and so that didn't work. But anyway. You rejected know, again. <laughs> yeah, rejected again one more time. <laughs> but then uh, we, we somehow he tried again and we connected. When he told me that he had written to me and I said, I didn't get your letters, I cried. So the first two months, every time we spoke to one another, there were tears. Tears of regret, yes, but more tears of joy and tears of discovery and tears of a comforting, beautiful feeling. So he said, I will come over and uh, I'd like to come over New Year's Eve and see you. So I was all excited. I got my best girlfriend and uh, she and I worked in the hotel industry. So she dressed up, we knew what chauffeurs looked like and she had a Mercedes. So she dressed up like a chauffeur and we made signs. You know those welcome signs you hold up? So I hid behind a post at the um, airport. I hid behind a post and she stood there dressed. Now she was director of sales at the hotel, but she dressed like a chauffeur and she held a sign, Robert Gore, and she said, and then um, all of a sudden she looks at me and she said, he's here, he's here. I said, where? She said, over there, baggage claim. So I came out slowly and I walked up toward him and he turned around and saw me. He shook like a leaf. He just <laughs> went bananas. He just shook like a leaf and we just hugged and everybody around felt it. All of the people waiting for their luggage felt it and they were all smiling. Yeah. Yes. That was so yes, beautiful. Yes, yes. And we took time getting to know each other. And we, I would fly back and forth to Seattle and we'd spend some time together. 
And then he invited me to um, Maui, another island, for a doctor's conference. But it was prenatal conference. And I, I had taught prenatal massage. So it was interesting to me. So he invited me to attend the conference and he registered me. Yeah. Yes. And I went over there to Maui, met him, and he drove he drove me directly to a jewelry store and got me a going steady ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that romantic or what? And then, you know, and I went to the conference, loved the conference. And then we were tested at the end, and I scored really well, didn't I? Yeah, they gave a test, and all these were specialty physicians that had all these degrees. She outscored them by quite a <laughs> bit. <laughs> Their average was like 65. She was like 85 or nothing. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Woohoo! So I figured I got, I got a good one this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we both had been injured. And, uh, you know, we, we both had been um, less than happy. So it took, it took us being together to recognize that we were, in fact, soulmates. And it was so easy for me to say, I love you. And he would cry. Tears would well up. He didn't believe it. And I had not been treated kindly. So... I remember being at his place in Seattle, in Tacoma, excuse me, and I accidentally broke a glass, which, you know, in my past would have not been dealt with well. And I got real scared. And he said, it's only a glass, you know, that type of thing. We have had healing from the very beginning that I think, for me, I just wanted to be loved and protected. And he told me something that I've never forgotten. Go ahead and test me. Go ahead, test me any way you want. I'll pass. <laughs> I'll pass everything. Till today, it's true. We have never argued. We have never been angry. We have fun. We have deep moments. And religion now is not this and that. It's one. We have come together so beautifully. We, we think the same. And politically, too. <laughs> I don't know what I would have done if we were <laughs> different political parties in America, for sure. We agree. It is so easy. And so I think if you don't mind, um, once a beautiful woman, beautiful woman, I, I danced at um, a sacred service and a woman came up to me afterwards and said, you're not, are you married at the t this time? I said, no, I'm not. And she said, well, when you're ready, I want to give you a recipe. I was watching you. and you're you've got angelic qualities when you dance and and i was very moved and i think you deserve to be loved and i would like to give you a recipe for the perfect relationship when you're ready 
and just tuck it away. But when you feel that you would like to have the perfect relationship, I'd like you to read it or write it or say it with belief. And I did. And um, if it's okay, I'd like to share it for listeners. Okay. Because like I said, sometimes we settle, you know, and it's okay to make mistakes. But please, don't stay in a relationship because of the children or because of the no divorces in the family or any of those reasons given to you by society and inside you're not living, you're dying. Because till death do us part means till death of the relationship. But if you stay in something that is detrimental and, and destructive, your death might come within the relationship. You, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, on the brighter side, Valentine's Day, I know this works. And anyone that wants to uh, attract the right person, if they're honest and they follow this recipe, I'll do the wedding for free. Okay. First of all, you have to know what you deserve. And neither of us grew up knowing what we deserve. You know, when my beloved spiritual teacher, Nana, would tell me something wonderful, I'd go, really? You know, really? And um, now I know what I deserve. And, and I think that would be a really good direction for us to take to empower other women. Here's a recipe. I and your name deserve. This is important. I deserve. I, Brenda, deserve. I, Teresa, deserve. I, Kat, deserve. Okay? Someone that I'm attracted to and who is attracted to me. Someone that I can love and have that love returned. Someone with the same basic philosophy of life that I hold. Someone with whom I can grow. Because the fact that you find your perfect mate doesn't mean that life stops. You grow. And if it's the right one, you grow by quantum leaps. Yeah, mm -hmm. so you both want have to want to grow and enjoy growing growth and, and wisdom. Yeah, and the last one, someone who is right for me right now. And why that's important, if they're not available, if they're married to someone else, if they're in jail, if they're going through the 12-step program, you know, if they're not a whole being, a whole healthy, inwardly healthy, spiritually, mentally healthy, emotionally healthy, it's not the right one right now. And a lot of, a lot of people are willing to say, oh, after he quits drinking, you know, we'll be fine. When he quits smoking, we'll be fine. When he stops taking drugs, 
you know, it'll be okay. No, it's not okay. All right. So attracted to in both ways. Love can be given and received both ways. And the same basic philosophy. So you agree on important things, philosophy and, and um, respect and trust for sure. Yeah. And someone with whom you can grow and get excited about growing into new expressions. And then someone who's right to me right now. All right, so that's five. Yes, 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 yes. Go for it. Yes, 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 no, yes. <laughs> Wrong, okay? So that, that's um, the recipe. The story that you both have shared, and there are elements that I've known, um, but there was just depths to that that I hadn't heard. And then your recipe, and for all of our listeners, I'm sure that they have can connect to your story and to a recipe that when you said you might share a recipe, I'm thinking, okay, is it going to be like a teaspoon of sweetness and a tablespoon of patience? Because I've heard of that. And I was thinking, all right, well, that might go with a particular age group on our, with our guests. No. But your recipe is so relevant and it's it relevant to where we are right now and relevant because um, it really talks about self-worth. And this is it something does. Kat and I were talking about. And one of the reasons why when we looked at who we would like to have on this particular program, there was really no question. <laughs> it was like, this is the story that we need to share. And I mentioned this to you both off air, but Kat and I felt that there are elements to your story, to your beautiful love story that touches all bases. And with what you've just shared, we've seen about the cultural differences, we've seen about the religious differences, about the individual hurt and often stories and scars that we carry and how that yes. can also impact. Um, yes. But then also this deep love that existed in the mid fifties, we're talking about yeah. 1950s is when you two first connected. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. Now 2021. So we're talking about 70, what, 65, 68 years ago, that there has been this connection Enduring. and fuel on this, you know, undercurrent of love and respect for one another, that even though you individually fulfilled a different purpose for a period of time and, and that needed to pan out in the way that it did but then you have found your way back to one another. Yes. Now, I remember meeting you both on your honeymoon out to Australia. which yes, was, That was fun. Wasn't it? So for our viewers, I will let them know, if it's okay with your permission, <laughs> your, that you actually chose to marry on the 11th of November. Yes. In 2011. Yes. At 11 o'clock a.m. 11 o'clock and we went directly in our wedding attire. And may I say that um, we were inspired or spiritually pushed to get married in a church, um, Unity, and um, to do a wedding, the wedding that should have been. So not to just say, oh, good, you know, but to really 
give ourselves the depth and joy of our wedding that we felt we deserved. And our friends felt that way too. And every friend that attended, we had quite a few friends attend and, and classmates, classmates. In fact, the cheering squad, yeah, <laughs> uh, attended. Um, they said it was the most beautiful wedding they had ever been to. Um, Sky St. John, the minister was amazing. And he had known me for like 30 years, so he made it fun. And one, one of my friends, a professional singer, sang, um, oh, Ryan sang too. He sang the song that I came down the aisle to, which was so beautiful. And then a professional singer friend of mine sang this song by um, Mario Frangeli. You know this, um, Another World. And one of the best lines from that song, you have shown me, um, love without hurt. And even though oceans, we were oceans apart, we were still connected. I mean, the song, the song was so our story that, <laughs> She actually broke down singing it. Part she felt it. She felt it. One of the lines in the song is there are angels and heroes watching over us. Yeah. And I realized again tonight as I shared the story that it was in preparing my own self that I was ready to then receive what had been in store for me for a long time. But I had to do the work. I had to get to the point where I was ready to receive the gift that I was being given. Um, so we need to work on ourselves in a way that's positive, not as a negative, not as beating myself up, mm -hmm. but looking at what am I, why don't I love myself? What can I do to love myself? And what am I really here for? What is my purpose? And what can I do now? Not what happened back then or what's going to be in the future. What can I do now? Because that's all we have. Mm -hmm. But the now is beautiful. Khalil Gibran shares, let not there be too much togetherness. Be like trees, close together, but not too close. You know, let there be spaces in your togetherness. So in other words, be a whole, be an independent, thriving, healthy whole, and attract that same thing with that recipe. When two holes come together, it's really quite effortless. It's it's easy. And and you know, even if it's COVID and being sheltered in place, <laughs> I happen to know a few couples that are sheltered in place and driving each other nuts. But we aren't. No. No. <laughs> We're having fun. We're having fun. And we look forward to every day together. Number 635 reason why I love Robert so much. Whenever I make a suggestion, honey, do you think we could do this? His answer is always sure. Can you imagine? Not, well, the problem is with that might be, no. He always says, sure. 
it's just easy. Listening to what you're sharing, it's just, it's so, it's so special to be reminded of the magic and the, as you said, Kumu, the, the endurance, but through your story, there's, there's such hope and there is a trust that is above all odds, really. And I think that, yes, sometimes, uh, you know, we might get in our own way of what is yet to be presented in front of us. You know, if things aren't happening the way we think it should or, you know, the pace of life and, and time and thinking that we're running out of time as well. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's hearing your stories is so reigniting for the, for the romance, for the, you know, the trust. And it's just, it's been really, really beautiful. One thing that I was really getting from what you shared was unconditional love. Yeah. And yeah, if you wanted to share more on unconditional love during potentially times that might be challenging in a relationship and even for yourself, as you said, with the, the trees and to be two separate entities that give each other space, sometimes it's hard to get to that place of unconditional love within yourself, yeah. but then with, within the relationship. So, yes. yeah. Um, no, that's true. You know, well, I'll touch on two things. When we first got together, I had had <clears throat> many years of healing, self-healing, forgiveness, etc. So I may have had less, you know, um, luggage. What we're called baggage, <laughs> baggage, baggage. Um, and uh, when we reunited, his was a little fresher. And um, whenever I saw, like when I said I love you, and and he would tear up. Or one time he um, <clears throat> he was carrying in a Christmas tree, and he was perspiring. And I thanked him and gave him a big hug and he was shocked that I would touch him if he was perspiring. Things like that, you know, little things. Or something from childhood where I saw, I perceived a child, hurt child. And when he was young, he was called Robbie. So I'd say, okay, Robbie, what's going on? You know, rather than don't do that, or why are you doing that, or why are you, I would say, Robbie, what's going on? And in every case, he relaxed. And like with me and the broken glass, when I saw his reaction, I, I just, it healed, it healed. Um, just by virtue of who we are, the loving beings that we are, uh, we have loved each other unconditionally. And when things come up, we just notice and then it's no big deal. If uh, one, one thing is like, if a rude driver would cut in front of him and real close and stuff, he might have <laughs> had a priceless gesture or... <laughs> 
or non-poetic words. And, and what I would reflect for him, rather, you know, I would say, honey, they can't hear you, but I can. And those words aren't pleasant to me. <clears throat> and <laughs> and he, he quickly got it, you know? He, in other words, that's how we communicate unconditional love to one another. I can give you an example. When we first reunited, we went to Canada together. And <laughs> we have to cross the border with passports and everything. And it, it can be very easy or it can be very, very tough depending on who you get. And I went in a line where she said, I don't think you should go in that line. And I said, no, it's shorter. Well, I didn't know about tone and vibration in the way that she understood it. <laughs> so when the lady started asking me all these questions and she said, where did you stay last time you were in Canada? I said, I can't remember. I come so often. I don't remember where I stayed. More like, I don't know. Anyway, I got a little <laughs> sassy and uh, she said, pull over, please. So I pulled over. They took her about 70 yards down the fence and took me the other direction. They tore the car apart, literally tore it apart. And they came out and said, what happened to you in California? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. What, how did you get in trouble? I said, I haven't been in trouble. I said, well, they did a background check. I said, well, I'm a physician. And to get into hospital, they had to do a background check. So he let us put the car back together and go home. But um, I learned a lot about tone and vibration. So my goal whenever I go anywhere now is to make the person laugh or smile before I leave. Yeah, yeah. So that I don't end up against the wall. <laughs> but I tell you what's funny. When there's uh, like a erroneous charge on a charge card or, or, or a duplicate charge or something annoying, he'll call now and he'll say, watch this tone and vibration. And then he'll, he'll be so... I appreciate your help. Thank you so much. You know, you've been very helpful. And then you go, see? <laughs> One of the statements that just came to mind while Kuma was talking was the one that says, would you rather be right or would you rather be loved? And um, every time I see that, it hits me very, very deeply because I would much rather be loved than be right. Mm -hmm. And so many people nowadays have to be right. It's, mm -hmm. We're seeing it all over the place. And, and their rightness is not necessarily right. But they put the rightness above love. And the rightness is not going to matter when we're old and ready for the, the home. What I'm loving is that there are threads of aloha right through it. Knowing that you're from Hawaii, Kumi, Papa, you've spent quite a number of years out there. There are so many threads to what I understand Aloha to be. You know, the value of unconditional love, that being the prime factor, but also forgiveness. Right at the beginning of this interview, you spoke about forgiveness, forgiveness of self, forgiveness of just what has occurred in life, like two key components of what Aloha is. And there are these these waves that are occurring that just embodies that that's who you both are and that is the aloha spirit that you bring in and you know and we know that hawaii is the home of that but wherever you are you carry it within your home and i think mm -hmm. that's really mm -hmm. important but for some of our listeners today it may feel a bit painful for them so we have you know everyone's on a different journey we may have listeners that 
are in a different journey in their relationship or have had a relationship breakdown or may not be um, even in a relationship and maybe actually feeling lonely, what would you say to them? How would you speak to them about where they're at today? And Valentine's Day is a reminder to be love and love mm -hmm. yourself. And it doesn't have to be just on this one day. But for many, the commercialism around it really hones in on some, some painful memories. How would you both speak to that? It's a time when, when one could feel very isolated or alone or lonely. Um, one of the things I learned on the intensive being isolated for three weeks was that loneliness is something I no longer fear because when I'm alone, I'm not alone. I have within me a voice that speaks to me and I speak to the voice, my spirit. And it's a peaceful time. Mm -hmm. And it's a time to say, what can I do to change the situation so that a year from now or two years from now, I won't be feeling so isolated or left out. Um, but not to treat it as something that's really horrible, but to say, this is a time for me to reflect, be grateful for the love that other people have, and to prepare myself to have the same love, the same relationships. Because it's what we decide in our heads, what we decide in our hearts that determine what's going to happen. Exactly. And I, I'm uh, the more I live, the more I'm absolutely convinced that we make our futures, and we make them by our thoughts, and we make them by our intentions. Right. We make them by what we do with our lives. And so living in the past no longer serves a purpose. No. When I was looking through some things recently, I saw the notes from my intensive of seven or 800 pages. And I said something to Kumo about, should I keep these? And she said, you know, do what you want, but it's past. And I, I had a very clear thing that that's over. I don't need the 800 pages to come back and read and look at and, and get upset about it's done. It, it served its purpose, and now I let it go. Mm -hmm. And so it's a time to let go of that which is not serving our purposes and to prepare ourselves for the, the good that we have coming. And don't give up hope. Never give up hope. Never. Mm -hmm. I'm never lonely. Never lonely. Um, you know, through life experiences, we do learn. Um, no one is ever alone. And the, the most powerful thing are our thoughts. And if we, it's like, if we think we're lonely, um, we bring it upon ourselves. The, the fact that we gave it a label. Um, and I'm seeing a lot of this during COVID, even Teresa, some of the students that we had in our last class, they're lonely, they're depressed. Again, guard our thoughts. And we can always change those thoughts. We can always put on music. We can read something uplifting. Uh, we can take a walk in nature. There's so many things we can do to get our thoughts aligned with what is and how, like you know very well, start being grateful and start noticing all that you have to be grateful for, then you can't be lonely. And a lot of the 
loneliness comes from fear as well of being alone. And fear, as you know, has no place in our lives. It has no place in tomorrow, for one thing. And all of fear comes from past experiences. Because if we didn't have unpleasant memories, we wouldn't know fear. We just don't want things to repeat themselves that happened in the past. And that's what brings up fear. So it's taking responsibility for changing focus. You know, and uh, when a child is small and they're having a little hissy fit or something, if you introduce something in the now different, get their mind off of the hissy fit subject, you know, you can change, you can change their focus. And that's what we can do. We can change our focus. And the gratitude journal is one way to do it. Because the minute you start thinking about things to be grateful for, you've already changed your thoughts. Invite things to do with today. Look at what's happening around today and then get excited about tomorrow. Today was a friend of mine, um, her, her birthday, 80. She turned 80. We worked together in Hawaii many years ago in the 60s. And um, she was always down, you know, always concerned about relationships or ever getting married, ever having children. And I got a little tired of hearing <laughs> the blues. And so I found a bumper sticker that said, expect a miracle. And I took it to work. And I said to her, what would expect a miracle mean to you? And she said that I would find someone. And I said, okay, here's a bumper sticker. I want you to expect that. It wasn't very long when she was asked to a business dinner by a handsome guy. And she says, well, I don't think, I don't know anybody. I don't think, I said, you go, you go. You know why he asked you? You're smart, you're beautiful. It's his business people, it's his boss. He wants to impress them. You are impressive. Now go. You know, they got married. Then she wanted children and she couldn't have children for a while. Nana and I, Nana Viri and I went and met with her and we changed her thoughts around and she had a child. Then she had another child. Then she said, oh, how do I stop it? You know, one ovary. You know, only one ovary, whatever, whatever. She had two children. Now what? Now stop, enough. <laughs> so today was her 80th birthday, so I called her up. They live up in Klamath Falls, Oregon. And she said, you know, I keep looking to go home to Hawaii. I keep looking for homes and we can't find anything. They're so, the prices are so high and everything. And I said, well, you know, do you remember the what I gave you? And she said, yes, I expected a miracle. I said, well, 
is it no longer effective? Can can are you able to expect a miracle now? She said, Oh, I never thought of that. I said, Yeah, okay. <laughs> so she she got excited, you know. But it's it's expecting good. The best is yet to come. More, more joy, more health, more, you know. And again, unconditional love, just uh, going back a moment. When he said we had some uh, challenges, they weren't relationship challenges. They were health challenges that we faced together. But when you have the un unconditional love that we have, um, when, when I had a healing journey that I was on, I could not ask for more love than I got from this man. The care the meals, the encouragement, the support, the love I felt. I wanted to live so bad to continue what I had finally found that mean, meant so much to me. So I got healed. I, I got healed. And love had a lot to do with it. Not too long ago, he got diagnosed with you know, a gradually debilitating disease. And guess what? I I was excited to be at his side and determined that we will do the very best we can and that I will be for him what he was for me. And it isn't um it isn't because I feel responsible or I owe him. I don't owe him anything. You know, I want to, the love, I, because love heals. And I have tons of that for him. So we're, we just know that we're, it's almost like we're together for a very amazing reason. And we can take on anything, huh? Absolutely. To expand on that a little bit, um, the disease is Parkinson's disease, which, most people know about and a lot of the physicians said well there's really not much we can do we can give you some medication but i found a neurologist who said you know what you should do is go over to the rocksteady boxing club and join which shocked me but i did join and it's a program specifically for parkinson's disease in which we in the boxing we have to follow instructions on where to hit with which hand which direction, how long. And in doing that, we form more neuro, neural pathways. And the difference that I've seen in the last four or five weeks is amazing. Mm -hmm. um, times that I would have fallen, I, I'm steady as a rock. Yep. Um, my hands are not tripling anymore. No. And I, I believe it, but you know, here was a physician who took the time to say, there's something other than a prescription. And that's what we need more of in this world is to say, what else can you do? I'll take your prescription, but what else can we do? And never take the word, there's nothing that can be done because yeah. there's always something can be done, mm -hmm. even if it's just a hope. So, and what did you get for Christmas? She got me a punching bag to put in the house. So when I don't go to the gym, I can, it's non-contact obviously, but uh, it is really fun and it's working. Plus, I get to see a lot of neat people every day who have the same problems and who are joyful and happy and, and 
doing the what, what they can do to relieve the symptoms. Yeah. One of the things when I went through a cancer journey was I had prostate cancer and I was treated with proton therapy, which takes about 40 days of treatments every day. Um, it's very easy, much less harmful to the body than radiation, but it's very time consuming. There were two groups of people that I met there at the institution that I went to. One stayed in their room, got their treatment every day, uh, ordered in their food and never did anything. There was another group of us who went to the gym together every day, went in the swimming pool every day. We went to dinner at night every day. We did celebrations of birthdays and anniversaries and all these kind of things. And a fellow who's tracking all of this with thousands of clients now says, the ones who go and participate in the in the activities like we were doing do extremely well. The ones who stay in their room, lock themselves away and talk about there's nothing to do for my cancer, end up not doing well at all. Um, and we both got the same protons. Mm -hmm. We both got the same machine. But one group of us said, this is just a bump in the road. The other group said it's the end. And it's a bump in the road. If you want it to be a bump in the road, it can be the end if you choose to be the end. So mm -hmm. be careful what you choose. Again, your thoughts, yeah. Yes. He also gets the unbelievable green drink every day. So it's got all these greens. And um, Love it. he <laughs> loves it. Uh, it it's, uh, you know, they, they say that, you know, the greens help Parkinson's and, and for me, it boosts immune system. So I, I, at certain times of the day, you know, I'll say, do you want lunch now or the green drink? But we have our green drink. Yeah. Yes. And so far we haven't changed our color. <laughs> Um, along with your recipe for love, we could also have that recipe for the green juice um, sent to us so that we can put that up for our listeners if that's... Oh, the ingredients. Sure, sure, yeah, sure, sure. You know, we are talking about love. We are talking about Valentine's Day. But both of you have touched on such an important key about love and how important and crucial that is in healing. Um, oh. And just on your own cancer journey, Kumu, the love that you received from Papa, um, but also the desire for you to have just been reconnected um, with Papa, to want to go back and really get through this journey, knowing that you still have a whole life that you want to fulfill. Exactly. Journey, but also the commitment that Papa gave you through that whole time. I think it's so lovely that you touched on that today in particular because love and connection are so crucial in sustaining our health. And, and I'm so grateful yeah. that we both talked about that. But Kat, I'm going to go to you because I know that you've got a question that's been festering away there. I've just been absolutely in awe, I guess, of everything that you're sharing and anything that I was expecting to ask you've naturally sort of delivered these answers <laughs> and you've spoken to so many people and so many different stages of a relationship as well and my parents are coming into their 49th year of marriage you know and so this which is incredible um congratulations it's coming up soon <laughs> yeah so I'm just I'm really blessed to hear 
what is yet to come for you know for myself and for for listeners and for friends and you know I'm I'm really blessed that I've got friends that are in different stages of their relationship and one thing that I admire in my best friend we were having this conversation the other day and she said when I was um going to be married I wanted to stand up there and have no secrets so that everything could be open and clear communication no secrets and I think that that's such an admirable thing do you have they're like you know some people might want to go oh I'll just keep that to myself you know or is your relationship pretty open and shared I can speak to that. Um, it's very much open and sharing. And things that only one or two other people know of my past, I've shared with Kumal because she needs to know everything. Mm -hmm. And the reason I could share it was it was I was not going to get judgment. I was not going to be judged. I was not going to be beat up about it. I was not going to be rejected but it helped her understand why I struggled in some areas. Uh, so it is important. Now, it's not always the right time to share. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, I've had times when I held back with other people because I knew it was not the right time to share something with them in a relationship. So I think you have to kind of let your inner voice tell you when when's the time to share this mm -hmm. and not just dump it all out at once because it can be too too much and it may not be helpful. So there is a there is some discretion to be used. Right. But I I like the concept because if we're hiding anything at all, every once in a while we're going to be embarrassed or nervous or anxious or whatever. And it's just not a good place to be. Yeah, and it might nick away at the trust and we have complete trust. Our phones, you know, are connected. He, you know, he can take my phone and the you know, uh, change things or my passwords, we know. And um, we just have complete trust. There's never hidden agenda. Um, some of my past, you know, has to do with abuse. So every once in a while, either something on TV, something will trigger it. I don't think about it. I don't visit. I don't go back and think about it. But something will trigger or replicate a painful experience that I had. And I might say something at that moment. And he'll say, that's no longer, you know, the case and let it go. And I love when I'm encouraged and supported to, yeah, it just got blasted in your face again, but you can let it go. And for him to say, let it go, I feel like he's holding my hand. And I let it go, you know. But as in the case of um, forgiveness or ho'oponopono, you know, that I do, I tell my students or anyone I'm helping through the process, we forgive. He and I both forgive so easily. And... We forgive and we let it go. However, sometimes we might see a movie again or something where you see 
yourself in the exact situation that hurt in the past, it might come up, in which case I do the exercise again to forgive. Because, uh, you know, forgiveness can take time if you see the same situation in others. You know, I remember one time I was driving across the Pali, which is a highway going through the mountains from one side of Oahu to the other. And um, I had been, you know, in an abusive relationship. And I saw uh, a, um, a spiritual couple garbed in some kind of religious attire. And he was roughing the woman up. <laughs> I don't know where I got this. I pulled over. I pulled over the victim, the prior victim, pulled a car over, ran across the street and set him straight. <laughs> I became her protector. You know, and I just read him. I read him the thing and I told her, don't accept this treatment, you know. I mean, I had gone to um uh, what they call family center, you know, where we were secretly, um, we secretly met and given empowerment steps and, and were helped to heal. Family Peace Center, it was called. And I had professional help. And I had gotten to the point where I wasn't going to allow it to be anywhere in my arena. I, I can't believe on the Pali Highway, on the highway, I pulled over and ran over and became her hero. <laughs> Don't you mess with me. <laughs> and that's what comes with experience and wisdom is that warrior spirit just shines through. And Yes, and you know, Teresa, I, I really was taken to task on being too gentle. Mm -hmm. I, I've always been gentle and I was too gentle. And what I had to learn was to allow, you know, we say we have male, female energy and in balance, it's perfect. You know, and we express as a woman or whatever, but you need both in order to be whole and not be, you know, rugs to be stepped on or whatever. And so one of my colleagues, Elva, taught martial arts, Hawaiian martial arts. So he used to come to my classes. He, he came to my classes to observe. And when he told me, you know, you're too oru-oru, gentle, too oru-oru, cool. You need to be cool. So I said, how do I do that? And he says, well, I want you to stand up and I want you to go cool. Well, all I could do was giggle. I just giggled. It felt so foreign. Finally, I got to where I took on some coup energy, and it really feels much better. <laughs> we, we love that you've taken on that coup energy. It reminds me of a hula dance I saw of you uh, last year, where you had a little bit of that coup energy as well. <laughs> yes. And when I come next, come to Melbourne. We're going to learn one or two. Yes, indeed. And that we're really looking forward to. I, I really welcome you both back home to Australia to share time with us.
and Kat and I are, are looking forward to when that opportunity comes. In the meantime, if there is someone listening um, and you've touched their heart with what you've shared and they would like to reach out to you either for Ho'oponopono or even a coupled Ho'oponopono, yes. um, would that be okay if we can give them your details for them yes. to connect? and yes. have and, and I will say I have done like hospital boards, um, unity uh, board of directors, I've done Ho'oponopono, couples, families with children, and individuals. So it's a process that works across the board. If anyone is struggling and wants to just lovingly move toward letting things go and forgiveness and cutting that energy uh, cord, because when, when you've had a some a perpetrator of pain whether it be words or or deeds actions um as long as you still have it you get you're giving them your power and it's not worth it so what we want to do is cut the cord that keeps that connection because they can be happily strolling along whistling and you're hurting and that's not fair to you not fair to you so Ho'oponopono is making right, more right, conflict resolution. And I, I'm a good listener and um, I'm insightful. I mean, that's the good news about being our age, isn't it? It is. I love how much light you are together. You just, you have this shine within you. And as you said, Kumu, to to support each other, but then to have fun, you know, and that's what has absolutely shone through as well on this call and on this podcast. So, and absolutely, yes. <laughs> Sometime down the road, we should have a discussion about what love really looks like in action in terms of healing. And um, Kuma and I both have had experiences of of nothing more than love healing real real disease, real problems. So I would love to share that sometimes yeah. because it's it's a part of medicine that is there some of the time, but not not as much as it should be. Yeah. Um, the machines are great, the tests are great, the drugs are great, but love is all powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I say yes. I say we're going to book you in now with a date for that one there. Uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in that, Papa, and I would welcome anything that both you and Kumi share, particularly coming from the two worlds that you both have lived, Kumi being very much um, with body care and, and, and quite a spiritual work in, in the touch therapy they knew with that scientific and medicine yeah. background and then the marriage between both yeah. and your own journeys. Um, and I have witnessed a couple of these journeys over the last eight years. Uh, yeah. so I would welcome it. I know our listeners would welcome it. And I know anyone that is going on a health journey would welcome any, any input to that and those truths that are not often shared elsewhere and True. that often we can ignore or we're not aware of it, so it's not part of um, our everyday awareness. We feel honored to share um, 
at our age that what we've acquired, if it can help anybody, um, that fulfills our purpose. So we're on board, right? We're on board. We're on board. Well, we love you and we thank you. We appreciate you both dearly. And we are so grateful for your time and the opportunity to speak to us about love and Valentine's Thank you. It's our joy. Our joy. Our yes. joy. Yay. Thank you so much for sharing on so many different aspects of love as well. So yeah, it's it will speak your your story absolutely speaks to so many people. So well, thank you and to keep shining your lights. Yes. Thank you. For those who want a little extra insight into behind the scenes, here you can find it. We hope you enjoy. Christmas morning, he sits here. Oh, come let us adore me. Oh, come let us adore me. <laughs> I'm not supposed to tell that. <laughs> oh, I wasn't supposed to tell that. Oh, well. <laughs> Too bad. Ha <laughs> ha